Economically speaking, COVID-19 has been particularly virulent for small businesses. One well-publicized estimate has more than 80,000 small businesses failing since March, and many still surviving are in dire straits. This week's podcast guest is Jay DeMarto, head of commercial distribution at TD Bank. He'll talk about a recent TD survey of small business owners on how they're dealing with the pandemic, and he'll also offer some thoughts on other ways financial institutions can help these small businesses. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. COVID-19 has hammered small businesses especially hard. We've all seen the closed-for-good signs on the doors of favorite restaurants, retail shops, and other businesses that were at least holding their own just a few months ago. Tens of thousands have failed, and even more are struggling to stay afloat. Our guest on the podcast this week is Jay DeMarto, head of commercial distribution at TD Bank. Jay's here to discuss a recent TD small business survey on the pandemic's impacts, and also what else financial institutions can do to help these small companies stay in business. So, Jay, welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you sharing your time. Hey, thank you, Terry. It's great to be here with you. Okay, so let's get started with TD's recent survey of small business owners. Can you give us an overview of the parameters of the survey, things like when it was done, how many respondents, demographics, and uh, perhaps some more details on what qualifies as a small business in this particular survey? So in this survey, we tried to focus on companies with revenues less than $10 million. And we sought and interviewed 750 small businesses across the country. And the demographics are always pretty interesting. They tend to mirror the small business demographics across the U.S., but this one was a little skewed. 60% of them had revenue less than $500,000. So if you think the cap of people we were talking to was less than $10 million, 60% of them had revenue less than five hundred, And 60% of them had less than five employees. So it's skewed to being very small out of the respondents. And there's also another thing that's always kind of surprised me over the years is it's also skewed. Most small business owners tend to be a little older. 60% of our respondents were over 55 years old. And the average age in doing these surveys, you know, we've asked this question a couple times. We didn't ask it in this survey. But the average age when someone starts a small business is in their mid-40s. So generally people work a couple jobs and or they, you know, worked at another small business and they decide they can do it better on their own. They take off and they do it. So that's why it tends to look like that. Jay, there's been a lot in the media about COVID-19's harsh impact on small businesses like restaurants and bars, retail shops health clubs, businesses that are kind of like that, you know, handful of employees that you were just talking about. So what were you looking for from the survey that you felt you weren't getting from the news or from other sources? Because there's so many different industries, types of businesses, age of a business. We like to do these and really see what's happening to this, you know, I guess it's, it's a single sample, but what's really happening. In our survey respondents, I was a little surprised that 42% of them said that the revenue were, was up or stable. I really expected more of them to be hurting based on what you hear in the news, like you were saying. 58%, unfortunately, were suffering you know, worse revenue than the prior year. 
and only 37% said they were down 10% or more. So look, you know, any small business can have, you know, less than a 10% hit and effect in any year without COVID and on revenue. And I think it, um, if only a third of them, you know, a little over a third of them are doing worse than 10% revenue, I thought that was pretty optimistic. Another interesting thing that we, we tend to ask a lot of questions around how are you with planning? You know, as a banker, the role that a banker fills in a small business or any business uh, customer of ours is to make sure they're fiscally planning and understanding what kind of tools we can help them with to be prepared for crisis and things like that. And I was a little shocked that 81% of them said they didn't have a crisis plan. You know, we hear a lot that people don't have financial plans, but I think, you know, them not having a crisis plan was pretty interesting. One of the findings that caught my eye was that only half of the small business owners said that they had made COVID-related operational changes to accommodate customers, to better serve customers. So why do you think more businesses didn't make adjustments, especially given all of the economic turmoil that's being caused by the pandemic? You know, um, there were a couple questions in there on how did you change. And the one you're referencing, I really liked because it was, you know, basically, how are you going to keep the revenue line going, which is always a better solution than the other one, which is how, you know, what are you going to do to cut costs? So you're right, only 50% said that they did do something. So, I mean, you think about it, 80%, give or take, didn't have a plan. But half of them, you know, I kind of look at it this way, half of them did make changes to accommodate customers. And I think those accommodations were things that make a lot of sense in the long term. You know, virtual appointments, 25% of them said they started doing that. And it kind of goes into a little bit more of one of the other things they said they did, which was beefing up their ability to take orders and payments online. And then also, you know, 15% of them said that they were thinking about how they're going to deliver their product differently or pick up, you know, they changed their pickup method. So 50%, that is a number we would all like to see be higher. I do think most industries can use some of those things, you know, technology or a little bit of ingenuity on serving customers. And it's probably going to differentiate the people that did change, that put in those things. It's hard to say that those levels of service, you know, those different methods are going to go back to business as usual when this pandemic's over. So I do think the people that, you know, most of them didn't have a plan, but the people that reacted well and you know, change the way they work with customers are going to be the ones who continue to win and probably dominate as we come through this crisis. You've made a couple of references to the 80%, 81% of the small businesses that didn't have a crisis plan in place, that didn't have a contingency for pandemic or, you know, anything else extreme. So I guess that number wasn't that big a surprise, but I would imagine that that's got to be one of the biggest COVID takeaways for these business owners. And that is to be ready for extreme tail risk. So what other key lessons do you think that they're learning from dealing with the pandemic? You're right. A plan is often put off. And we see that in our more, you know, business as usual type surveys where they don't do a lot of financial planning. Businesses don't. They tend to, and look, you know, if you're a small business, most of them only have five or less employees. They're acting, you know, they're touching customers. They're working hard to make sure, you know, ends meet for the business. Production schedules or delivery schedules are getting met. So they're very hands-on. And to step back and be strategic a lot of times falls, you know, in between the cracks. And if you think about what a plan does, 
whether it's just a straight financial plan that you're thinking about what your next year will be if you want to expand or you know shut a business down that you have. But if you do a disaster plan, you build in that extra flexibility. And where banks, you know, like us, ways we can help are you really have kind of two things that get hurt. It's really all around cash flow. And, you know, I was mentioning before, if you don't have a plan, you know, right now in our survey, it's interesting, 75% of the respondents, the main way they get paid from their customers is cash and check. And, I mean, that makes sense, right? If someone's going to pay you in cash, they want to, or check, you take it. But only 33% have the ability to accept electronic payments. So if you're in a world where you can't see your customers face-to-face as often, you got to accept other payments, credit cards, have a digital interface. You know, there are websites now, like AutoBooks, where you can send, you know, digital invoices that are kind of embed in your accounting system, and people can pay you right there, all bundled together. And, you know, if you have that, if you think about that, and you put that in before a pandemic, you're already, you're ready to go. And in just general cash flow, look, I mean, bankers always tell people this, it's like a doctor telling you to eat well. Um, You should have some cash reserves, but that's not the easiest thing for a lot of these businesses, right? So cash can be tight. So if cash is tight, we can help. Banks can help. Other lenders can help. And you can go get a line of credit. So if you plan for that, you know, and you have a line of credit, what happens when you have a cash disruption? Well, you've got some money there to pay people, you know, your employees, or you have money to uh, to pay vendors um, if you're buying products. So getting that in place before you need it is a huge way to plan. Jay, let me shift gears a little bit here. TD Bank was one of the more prolific lenders in the Paycheck Protection Program that uh, supported small businesses after COVID arrived. So how successful was PPP in doing what it was intended to do, in your opinion? And how do you see the forgiveness part that we're moving into? How do you see that unfolding? I really am amazed at how well the government did in getting a program approved and how well the banks did to basically, you know, unprecedented, become a distribution arm for a government program. And I think the brilliance in the distribution arm was that banks know a lot of small businesses or businesses that needed this program. And we have balance sheets we could use to basically, you know, get the money out the door under the jurisdiction and administration by the SBA, who a lot of us work with. You know, we work with them a lot. So you're right. We were a fairly large participant. We were the sixth largest participant in the PPP program. And we only operate in 13 states. Uh, you know, we did these loans regardless of, of jurisdiction. Not We kind of went outside of our footprint to do them. And, you know, what I think I learned was when there's a crisis, everybody's got to do their part. And, you know, we did things I've never seen happen in our bank. You know, we launched a website uh, in 72 hours. So people could apply digitally. You couldn't really take these things with paper and process. We did, I think, 85,000 of these things. There's no way we could have done 85,000 loans. We're a fairly large SBA lender. We're the largest in our footprint units. We'll do 3,000 loans in a year. We did 85,000 of these things in six months. So it's a pretty remarkable effort to be able to do it. And you know, speeding up our digital app was a huge piece of it. We trained 6,000 employees like on weekends. People were working seven days a week, and they weren't working in the office where we could communicate You know, like we're used to communicating, people kind of walking up and going to someone's cube and saying, hey, how's this going? We're all on conference calls, and everybody's working out of their house. So a great amount of change, and I, yeah, were the things that with hindsight people would do different? Yes, but I don't fixate on that at all. I fixate on you know, just ourselves. We got um, you know, 
seven billion out the door and gave a lot of people lifelines they really needed. So I was pretty happy with the outcome of it. Yeah, but what about the um, the forgiveness part that we're moving into? How do you, you know, based on what you were saying, you know, you said wasn't perfect, lessons learned, no doubt. How do you see those being applied to the forgiveness part? Most of the forgiveness parameters have been laid out by Treasury and the SBA. We have built the, you know, a digital process for customers to be able to do it. We'll, we'll kick it off in the next month. But we are waiting. There's a pretty critical piece of legislation that would help the banks tremendously, and that is you know, how you treat different loan sizes, the amount of rigor you have to fill out as a company to be able to get your loan forgiven. And you know, there's a concept out there in Congress, which would be a no-doc process. You don't have to upload any kind of proof of spending the money on payroll or on the allowed utility expenses or you know, rent expenses, things like that. And that would be a game changer. So, you know, the vast majority of our loans, I think 99% of them are under a million bucks. And, oh God, it's probably like 80, 90%, something like that, you know, definitely 80% are under $150,000. So 80% of our 85,000 loans are under $150,000. Not making those customers kind of upload a bunch of documents and making us check them for the relatively immaterial amount of money that went out to them in the grand scheme of things. And just, you know, handling it on an audit process, asking the customer to retain it, and then sampling those, either the SBA or having, you know, somebody like us help do it, sample and check some, that would be huge. And that's, you're right, that's hung up in that greater legislation, and that's that's a little bit tough. So we're waiting to launch, but that's a fairly, you know, for 80-plus percent of our customers, that would be a great work relief on them. So we're hoping that that does make its way through. I don't think they're going to get back together until, you know, middle of September. But, you know, I'd love to see that one go through. And I know a lot of customers we're talking to would love that too. If the process can be simpler, it would be huge. Clearly, a lot's been done. Equally clearly, there's a need to do more to support smaller businesses now and to particularly to help them prepare in the event that there's a second wave of COVID that the medical experts are talking about as you refer to the, you know, the rules changes that still need to be ironed out, that's tied up with the, you know, the government debates over more funding that seems to be hung up in Congress. PPP was a short-term lifeline that many or even most businesses won't have to pay back due to the forgiveness plan. But what happens to them if more aid doesn't get allocated, in your view? You know, it's a very insightful question. And if you look at the way PPP rolled out, the original parameters were you had to, first off, the loan amount was based off of two and a half months of payroll, right? So that kind of says, how do I carry the business on for two and a half months? Well, two and a half months has come and gone. If you take, you know, March through now and, you know, the NCAA just canceled, uh, well, the Big Ten and one other conference canceled their football seasons or, or at least talking about postponing it. A lot of colleges are now backing off on saying, let's have in-classroom learning, being greatly scaled down. You know, the Masters today canceled uh, having fans. So you're right, it's going longer than people anticipated. Two and a half months wasn't long enough. Um, the government did, you know, the SBA and Treasury did change the window of time from eight weeks to 24 weeks, you know, six months to spend the money. But it was only based off of the two and a half months of payroll that they originally applied with. And so there is a lot of talk about if this keeps going on about having, you know, the ability for a business to get another PPP loan. Right now it's limited to one loan per business. 
And, you know, there still was almost $100 billion left in that tranche, the second tranche that went out. Um, there's a lot of money in Main Street that's not being tapped. So I do think that would make sense if this keeps going. And it does feel like it's going to go longer than we anticipated. As some states have opened up, you know, they probably opened up a little bit too fast, they're feeling, and, you know, cases went back up. So supporting another, if that happens, we'd have to figure out how to do it. But I could see where that would help businesses a lot you know, where they can get another two and a half months of capital. So, Jay, we've been focusing a lot on the need for government programs, but let's look at the banks now. They've done a lot. They're doing a lot now. But what else can individual banks do? Perhaps what the banking industry as a whole can do, should be doing, could be doing that it's not doing now? You know, there's a couple things there, Terry, that probably the first one is, and we really didn't talk too much about this because we kind of jumped into PPP, but, you know, all of our customers that have mortgages, whether you're, you know, a homeowner or you're a commercial entity, we offer deferments and pretty much the whole banking industry did. So if you can't make your payment, you can not make a payment for, we did it for three months and now we're offering another three months. And, you know, most people are doing that. So six months not having to pay one of your biggest expenses uh, of your mortgage is pretty good. A lot of landlords, if you're paying rent, are doing the same thing, you know, because they know that their business or their tenant is somebody that they want to keep. It's just they're going through a hard time not on their own doing. So, you know, doing that as, a, as the industry I thought was great. I also think, you know, you heard me mention that we, you know, introduced a digital app to take a PPP loan application, and we kind of launched it in 72 hours. It generally takes us six months to do something like that. And the fact that we could you know, take something that we're, that we're using for normal loans and retool it made us more innovative. We almost felt like a fintech there for a couple weeks. So I do think the banking industry getting more you know, customer accommodating with digital applications. We're doing video conferencing with customers as opposed to seeing them at their place of business. You know, Meetings with our underwriters um, and our customers it's just convenient at the end of the day. Now, look, we all kind of want some mix of it. I think our customers want some face-to-face connection, so do we. But in instances where it's really hard, this we're all learning that, you know, Zoom meetings, WebEx, they all work pretty well. So, and then I think just our normal blocking and tackling discipline, which is, uh, you know, we have to be there always encouraging people to make plans, get a line of credit, Get your credit card capability, you know, your merchant processing, credit card swiping capability ready. If you don't have a, you know, accounting system, we can offer you one for, it's like nine bucks a month or 10 bucks a month. It's pretty cheap, right, for a small business. So, you know, get one. And a lot of those have online billing and kind of the ability to accept different payments in there. Just, you know, we'll help push, but something that the banking industry can do is help customers get some of these tools that will help them in a, in a time of need. Jay, that's all I've got for questions. Jay DeMarto, Head of Commercial Distribution at TD Bank, thanks again for joining us, and thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you, Terry. It was great. A few takeaways from today's podcast with TD Bank's Jay DeMarto. First, some highlights from TD's recent small business recovery survey. Around 40% of respondents said their revenue was stable or higher in the face of COVID, and another 25% said their revenue was down less than 10%. This was something of a positive surprise. Also, half of these businesses made changes to accommodate customers. Generally, this meant offering more digital capabilities for things like ordering and payments that may benefit them in the long run. 
But on the other hand, only one in five of the small business respondents had a crisis plan in place. This speaks to how critical government support was in helping these businesses get through the cash flow collapse caused by the pandemic. Jay says now that these businesses have seen what a sudden, extreme left-tail event looks like, they may be focused on preparing for contingencies and that financial institutions should take initiative in working with them to create crisis plans. And finally, there are other things that banks can do to help small businesses. Jay says, for example, that one lesson TD Bank learned during COVID times is the value of digital applications, which can be more convenient for customers. Video conferencing with customers is another COVID-related move that may be worth continuing. And as trusted financial advisors, banks can also encourage small businesses to upgrade digital billing and payments and other tools to help their businesses run better. Thank you for listening to this week's BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor of BAI. Please join us again next week for another conversation offering important insights on key issues facing the financial services industry.